0: All right, you can find your seat again there, we've, we've uh, just been notified, they took down the boys and girls signs, so you can sit wherever you want, all right, well, we are glad you're here this morning, and uh, have, if you're here new, uh, we're, we're super glad you're here with us this morning, and I uh, hope you've enjoyed our time of worship through song already, uh, my name is Brian McKenzie, I have the privilege to serve as one of the elders here, and also have the privilege to teach a couple times each month, so we are glad you're here. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of update. I know some people have asked. You've been praying for our son, James Robert, who had spinal surgery a little over four weeks now ago, and he's here. Um, he started coming last Sunday and feeling better. Actually, he's maybe feeling a little too good. Uh, that's our fear. He's going to feel too good and do what he's not supposed to do. In a couple of weeks, he goes back for x rays, but still, it's, kinda, it's not until after uh, Valentine's Day the doctor told him that he's going to be able to be released to do all that he wants. So that's a long time for a 12 year old boy. To stay uh, um, calm down a little bit, especially this one. But thanks for your prayers. Please continue to pray for him. And uh, we're just so grateful for your prayers. Well, this morning we are going to uh, continue in our study uh, of Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. And it's a, a series entitled Be Strong in Grace. And this morning is uh, part 29. And entitled, A Good Servant of Christ Jesus. A Good Servant of Christ Jesus. And we'll be looking at 1 Timothy 4, 11-14. And if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I'd encourage you to take that out and turn it to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11-14. through 14. And we will be looking at those in just a few minutes. Before we do that, as always, we want to take you a little bit of time to review. Um, two weeks ago, when we were last in 1 Timothy, Jay taught 1 Timothy 4 verses 9 and 10. And Jay began setting up this passage in 1 Timothy by telling the story from Acts 9 about how Saul of Tarsus came to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, he reminded us leading up to Acts 9, there was a lot of persecution on, the, on, on believers in Jesus Christ, those who were following Jesus. And Paul was a big part of this persecution that was going on. In fact, Acts 9 starts with Paul asking for permission from the authorities to, uh, to go to Damascus and gather up all these followers of Jesus so they could take him out. That's how a- Acts 9 begins. So he takes off on this trip toward Damascus, and on his trip, guess what happens? He sees a light from heaven. It knocks him off his horse in a sense, and he hears a voice and says, Paul, Paul, and he said, uh, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, well, who is this? And he says, it's Jesus. This is who you're persecuting. And he told him, to get up and to go into Damascus um, and meet this man named Ananias, who would be there waiting for him. But Paul was blind; it had struck him blind. He had his, his buddies who could—they could—they could see a bright light. They couldn't see anybody, he heard a voice, but they weren't sure what it was. But he said, take him, Had hey, your buddies, take you to Damascus. And sure enough, he goes and meets a man named Ananias. Now in the meantime, there's this whole story about Ananias and he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And God said, hey, Paul or Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, was coming to town and I want you to meet with him. And Ananias is like, there's no way. This guy like kills Christians. There's no way I'm meeting with him. And sure enough, he obeys. And he tells him, hey, I want you to tell him Uh, that I've got great plans for him. And those great plans include taking the gospel to the Gentiles and to their leaders and also to more Jews. And Ananias went and he met Saul and told him what God had said and Saul regained his sight and he was filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit and he was baptized. That's the account that Jay started off the story uh, a couple weeks ago from Acts 9. And then he tied it in at the end of the message, which I'll remind us of here in just a few minutes. Well, Jay... uh, then took us to 1 Timothy 4, and specifically verses 9 and 10, and pointed out this key statement. Here is a trustworthy statement. You remember that? Here is a trustworthy statement. And he reminded us, because we'd already dealt with that statement, I actually dealt with that statement in chapter 1, um, that it's mentioned five times in Paul's letters, which called the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Okay, It's mentioned five times uh, in those letters. And two of those times... He adds another statement on. It's not only a trustworthy statement, and then he says this, deserving full acceptance. Now, first of all, if Paul say, hey, this is a trustworthy statement, Jay reminded us, we'd probably go, we'd lean in a little bit. This is a true, I'm gonna listen to this. And then if he said, "This deserving full acceptance, we might come out here and lean even more. He's just making more emphasis on this. But there's only two times of those five that he adds that deserving full acceptance. Um, and one of those, is in the past we looked like last week, but also the other one was we saw in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, if you look there with me. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. All right, listen up. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as in foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul knew he was a great sinner. In fact, he, he believed he was the greatest. And you can debate about that, but for, in Paul's mind, he was the greatest sinner to ever live. And Paul also knew that Christ came in the world to save sinners, and Paul knew he was one of those. And if we're all honest, we are too. We have to raise our hand. We got three honest people here. I'm just kidding. Um, but Paul knew that, and, and he knew that God used salvation also for an example. Hey, if God could save Paul, A guy was persecuting and killing Christians who hated Jesus. If he could save him, he could save anybody. That was Paul. Paul was using, he knew God was going to use him as an example. Well, then Jay showed this great video clip, if you all remember from the movie Amazing Grace, about John Newton, who was a former slave trader, uh, turned follower of Jesus and pastor. And and in fact, he was a pastor of William Wilberforce when Wilberforce was a child. And if you know much about Wilberforce, it's harder. to William Wilberforce, and he called him Wilbur, and now I know why. All right, he said Wilbur. All right, so Wilbur, if you know, he, he led basically the overthrowing of the slave trade around the world. I mean, he fought and fought and fought and fought. All right. Well, later in his life, Wilbur went to visit John Newton, who's best known for the song "Amazing Grace." All right, went to visit him. Uh, and uh, in that meeting, John Newton made the following statement. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very, very clear, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. I'm getting chills right now just thinking about that. Man, when we realize how great a Savior, it doesn't matter. And the whole point here that Paul was making in the, in, in the first chapter was that no one is beyond the saving power of Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Because the enemy wants to thank us. We're beyond the saving power of Jesus. But I'm telling you, no matter what you've done or where you are, you are not beyond the saving power of Jesus. You are not. And if that's all you get out of this morning, that's great. We are saved not by trusting in what we do, but by trusting in what he did. Let me say that again. We are saved. We are made right with God, not by trusting in what we do. Instead, we are saved by trusting in what he did through his death and resurrection. That's the good news. Well, then Jay took us back to 1 Timothy 4, all right, 9 and 10, and we saw this, it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. Here it is again. For this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Jay pointed out that not only does Paul use the phrase, a trustworthy statement here again, but he also uses deserving full acceptance. And also, look at that word I've got highlighted, Savior, just like in chapter 1, it was talking about full acceptance. He, was, he came into the world to save, save, right, to save sinners. He's the Savior. He's pointing to this. He's connecting them. Jay pointed out that the context of verses 9 and 10 point to the fact that the trustworthy statement refer, referred to is something that I dealt with the week before that, which is this, to train yourself for godliness because it has value both for this present life and the life to come. Jay then pointed out that these two trustworthy statements are two sides to a coin. You remember, he had a coin up here, um, and he would flip. He said, one side of that coin is the Lord comes, all right, uh, he calls us to have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so we may write with God and be forgiven. On the other side of the coin is we want to take that same message, the same message that God saves sinners to the world. Right, first, he wants us, calls us. Then he trains us for godliness, and part of that training is that we would be trained to take the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through faith in Jesus Christ, to the world. All right, that's the, the two sides of the corn. And, and, but we need, to be cons- we, we need to consume God's word. All right? First, we've got to consume God's word to understand, to be able to take it to the world. And then we need to serve the word to others. We take it in, we serve it to others. Uh, Jay didn't use this illustration last week. I didn't use it before. We both talked about it at lunch, I think, after that. But if you think about the Dead Sea. Why is the Dead Sea so dead? Well, it's full of salt. Nothing to live in the Dead Sea. If you've ever been, I've never been there. I want to go to Israel sometime, and, and you just float. I mean, even if you don't think you can float, you float in the Dead Sea. It's so dense, you just float. And uh, my dad is the worst swimmer ever. Literally, he took swimming lessons when he was an adult, when we were taking swimming lessons as a kid, and they finally just gave up on him because he sank every time. They could not teach him to float. Well, my dad could float in in the Dead Sea. The reason it's dead is because there's, there's there's an inflow into the Red Sea, but there's no outflow. And if we're not careful, we can just take in and take in and take in. We can become like the Dead Sea. We're just taking in but not giving out. And the point here is we were supposed to not only take him to be nourished by the word of God, to train ourselves to be godly, but we're to exercise that, to taking it to the world. Then Jay took us back, all right, to the story he began with in Acts 19 about Saul of Tarsus. And Jay pointed out that Saul was running as hard as he could away from God. But the good news was God was faster. And as fast and as hard as Paul could run, God ran him down. And the same is true for us. We all come into this world running from God. We may not think we do, but we do. We run from God, and the great news is he runs us down. And if you're saved this morning, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it's because he ran you down. Isn't that good news? We're not too fast to run from God or too far gone. And Saul, who would be renamed Paul, spent three years, this Saul, who God ran down, he spent three years studying God's word as a new follower of Jesus, he trained himself for godliness. And Jay reminded us that we too must train ourselves for godliness through the study, application, and sharing of God's word. We must find a, find a way to nourish ourselves with God's word daily. Daily. I dealt with that, and, and then Jay emphasized it again because that's what this passage was talking about. He then challenged us to come up with a plan, right? Just like I challenged to come up with a plan. He said, if you were upset that Brian challenged you with a plan, I'm going to do it again today. And I'm going to remind us, hey, you got to have a plan, right? Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, guaranteed every time. You won't be nourished. You won't grow in your relationship with God if you're not committed and you don't have a plan to nourish yourself daily. I hope you have a plan, and I hope you've been applying that plan every single day to be nourished, to be trained for godliness. Well, that leads us up to our passage this morning. So please, if you would, stand with me as we read God's word together this morning found in 1 Timothy 4, through 14. And once again, I'm going to take the good advice. I'm going to slow down my rate of reading so we can read it together. Okay, here we go. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with a laying on of hands by the presbytery. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and we come today expecting you to speak to us through your word. Lord, that's our heart. We, we want to hear from you, and we want, and from hearing from you, we want to be changed. We be made changed and made more and more like Jesus, so the world can see. Or help us do that. That we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Well, as we begin to unpack um, our passage for this morning, uh, I want to point out something in verse eleven as we get going. Since that's the first verse, that's probably a good place to start. All right, that actually says six, but. It, um, it, Let's see here. I don't have it on there. Well, I'll go back here. There we go. Verse 11. Look, it says, prescribe and teach these things. Some of your translations say command and teach these things. There there is an emphasis here. It's strong. Paul is is telling him, command, prescribe, and teach these things, Timothy. Well, what things? Well, it points back to what just came before and it also points forward to what's coming. All right? And, And if you remember... All right, it's very similar to verse 6. All right, see verse 6, it says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. All right, notice that phrase, pointing out these things. It sounds a lot like what? Prescribe and teach these things from verse 11. These two phrases tie the whole chapter together. Look at them together. Pointing out these things, prescribe and teach these things. And they bring the whole chapter together and show that he's talking about all these things that he's addressing to Timothy in chapter four. All right? In chapter four, there are actually, listen, 11 imperatives. And an imperative is a command. All right, no suggestion. There's 11 imperatives given to Timothy that highlight the attributes or actions of a good good servant of Christ Jesus. All right, there's 11 commandments that highlight... All right, attributes your actions of a good servant of Christ Jesus. Right, let me remind you of something I taught here um, earlier. I don't know how many months ago I taught this. Because it's very important we hear that hear commands. And some of you just bristle. You bristle when you hear the word command. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's just a reminder of if we even know Christ, the flesh is still holding on. If we don't know Christ, the rebellion inside our heart is just holding on. All right, so hey, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Now let me remind you of something. This is so important, and 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 I I taught this a few months ago. I think it's important to be reminded of this. All right, it has to do remember with two eyes. Remember that if we're gonna see this clearly, it has to do with two eyes, but not those two eyes. Actually, the two eyes are two words that start with the letter I. All right, they're indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives are true statements, and some of you are like, man, this is really going down a road. I hated English. Do not take me back to grammar, but this is so important. Indicatives are true statements. Imperatives are commands. So important that we understand, and we see the relationship that these have in the New Testament because if not, we'll get everything out of whack. And many people get things out of whack because they don't understand the relationship between indicatives and imperatives. The imperatives of the New Testament always are based on indicatives. The commands are always based on true statements. I'm gonna show you here in just a second what that looks like, all right? All the imperatives in 1 Timothy, and specifically this morning, the ones in chapter four that we're gonna look at are tied to the indicatives of the New Testament, and I would say specifically to the book of Ephesians. Why would I say that? Because where is Timothy when he's receiving this letter? Who is he working with? The church in Ephesus. And Paul had spent three years there and he had written a letter to the church of Ephesus that's full, full. The first chapter is full of indicatives, truth statements, true statements about who we are in Christ. If you're in Christ by faith and what he did for you, all right, these true statements in Ephesians, are tr- these indicatives, these true statements are true about you. This is now who you are. Let me just give you a little rundown of Ephesians chapter 1. It says we are saints. We're holy ones. Now some of you have, oh, hold on, we're not saints. Yes, we are. There, there's no special class of Christian called saints. Nowhere in the Bible will you feel that, and I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out to you. If you can show me in the Bible where it says there's a special class of Christians called saints, I'll eat the page. I'll give that promise again. I needed a little fiber to my diet, but I guarantee you, you won't add anything to it. Because there's no place in the Bible that tells us that saints are a special class. It's anybody who's in Christ, and we were made holy because of Christ. We are saints. Don't forget that. That's, that's our identity, all right? Now look what it says blessed with every spiritual blessing. How many did that leave out? None. Every spiritual blessing. We're chosen, we're the number one draft pick. The number one draft pick. We're sons and daughters. We're his children. We've been redeemed, and he's bought us back through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He paid for our sin. He redeemed us. We're forgiven. Isn't that good news? We have an eternal inheritance, and we're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. Nothing can undo what he's done. That's who we are. Those are true statements. Right? These indicatives, these true statements, are true of everyone who is trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to make him right with God. This was also true of Timothy, and Timothy knew it. All right. So when Paul gives these 11 commands to Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he's basing it on who Timothy is in Christ. Paul is call- Listen, Paul is calling Timothy to live out who you are. Let me say that again. Paul is calling Timothy to live out who you are. That's so important we get that. He's calling Timothy, he's calling us who are in Christ to live out who we are. Doing the things Paul commands does not make Timothy a Christian. Boy, we don't don't want to get that wrong. Doing the things here that he commands does not make Timothy a Christian. Because Timothy is a Christian, he wants to do these things. And he has the desire and the power now to do these very things that Paul commands. And the same is true for all of us who are in Christ this morning. All the commands, and guys, I, I think I told you this before, all right, there's more commands, there's more imperatives in the New Testament than there are in the, in the law. There's 613 in, in, the, in the law, the Mosaic law, the old, what we call the Old Testament, Old Covenant. There's over 1,000 in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Commands, Whew, that just made a lot of people uncomfortable. But here's the great news, all right? The Old Covenant, to run and work the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. A different news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings, We've been changed. He, he, he calls us fly, go, go, and the, the, the standards are higher, but the power and the desire to do them are given to us because of who we are. Isn't that good news? That's wonderful news. I'm the only one getting chills about this today, I guarantee you that. I hope, hope not, okay? Well, we can and we want to do these things. Now, I made this statement before. It's kind of, if you know me, if you've been around me at all, I make this statement. I'm going to put it up there so you can write it down if you don't, the next time you remember me to do it. But those who have been around me all know what I'm going to say. What you do is not who you are, although who you are has a tremendous impact on what you do. What you do is not who you are. That's what the world world tell you. You're who, what, you're, you, what you do is who you are. That's what I'll tell you. It's not true. It's a lie. What you do is not who you are, although who you are has a tremendous impact on what you do. Very important. And that's the principle here. When we think about these imperatives, these commands, we have to understand they're based on these indicatives of who we are. And because of who we are, God can call us up and be good servants of Christ Jesus. Well, let's examine now. Uh, let me go back here. Let's examine this, this passage here, really, verses now 12 through 14. And uh, we're going to see three attributes of a good servant of Christ Jesus. And, and these are not the only attributes of a good servant of Christ Jesus. In fact, we could take, if I was going to preach this whole um, uh, chapter at once, and some of you would probably rather Jay and I would preach a whole chapter at once, okay? But if I was going to, I would call it a good servant of Christ Jesus, and I would give all 11 attributes, all right, or these, these imperatives. But we're not going to do that this morning. We've got, we just, we're going to look at just the three that are presented to us, and I've, even, I've condensed those a little bit. But I'm going to state them as imperatives because that is how Paul brings some to Timothy. So here they are. If you're a note taker, here you go. Number one, be an example. That's the first exhortation or command. Number two, give priority to God's word. And number three, treasure your gift. All right, Be an example, give priority to God's word, and treasure your gift. Let's begin with verse 12. Uh, Look there again, let no one look down on youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Here we see the first attribute of a good servant of Christ Jesus presented here in our passage. Be an example. Be an example. A good servant of Christ Jesus is to be an example. Uh, Now notice that first part there of the verse, all right? Let no one look down on your youthfulness. I've heard this quoted many times, mostly by teenagers. Some of you are laughing. Maybe you've quoted this. I, I, I use this a little bit as a teacher. Don't you look down on my youthfulness. Hey. And I promise and that's what Paul meant. And, and, and I thought maybe somebody's disrespected me when I was younger, and they're older than me. Well, don't, don't look, the Bible says, don't look down on my youthfulness. It doesn't say that, actually. It tells Timothy to not let anyone look down on youthfulness. It doesn't say, hold this up and say, don't you look down on my youthfulness. It doesn't say that anywhere. So if you use it that way, stop using it that way. It's the wrong way to use it. That's the first problem. Another problem is with using this verse like this is that Timothy was not a teenager. He was in his mid-30s. Oh, that's a shocker. That just blows that teenager thing right out of there. So if you're in mid-30s, you can go ahead and feel free to use it. All right, I'm kidding. But the other problem here is Paul is not directing Timothy to quote this to others who are old around him. He's just not doing that. Although Timothy was in his mid-30s, the false teachers whom he's combating here, battling, were most likely much older. And they were calling the question, well, what kind of authority do you have? You're only in your 30s. See what they were doing? And Paul is saying, don't let anyone look down the fact that you're, you're young at least in, in, in comparison to them, All right? And uh, think about the elders who Paul had come and planned this church, spent three years. They had probably ha- he had pr- probably some new converts. They had become elders. They had at least become leaders in the church. Paul left Timothy here to establish the church um, in, in his call, and he think of the elders who were there. They were probably older than Timothy, too. And they, Timothy, because of what Paul told him, was going to have to correct maybe some of the elders. Think about that. So This' is why he tells them, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness all right now and, and we Paul says that give people listen a, well the second part of verse twelve, look at it with me again, but rather but rather here's a contrast, but rather right in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Paul says, give people a reason to look up to you instead of Look down on you. Give him a reason to look up to you, Timothy. In other words, be an example. We, we see this clearly with the words here, show yourself an example. Other translations say set an example, and then another translation actually says what I said here, be an example. All right, it's, it's clear that that's, that's what he's calling him to do. This phrase, show yourself an example, be an example, it's a word or a phrase used for making an impression into something that then is used as a mold to shape something else. It's making an impression. So I brought a little uh, mold, all right? It's a Play-Doh mold, all right? Some of you may have played with these before. If you're still playing with these after 35 years old, please come and see me, all right? And it's actually of a football. You're surprised with that, okay? We had had the shape of Texas, too. I could have brought her a car. I chose this uh, for good reason, okay? And what you could do is take this to a big pile of Play-Doh, and you could boom push it down in there, this mold, push it down in there, and you come out, of that Prado and you have to pull the stuff, around. boom, you got a football. Awesome. We need to do this to lots of things, more footballs, so I'm kidding. Um, but this is a, a mold, right? And the picture here, this word, set yourself an example, is Timothy's not just to be an example others can emulate. No, 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 that's not what he was talking about. But his life is to be a mold pressed down into the lives of others so they will have the same shape. This is more than just, hey, look at me. This is walking alongside of people and being with people and being an example so much that you come into their life. That's what he's saying. Be that kind of example. Get up and rub shoulders, rub elbows with people so you can impress upon them. That's the kind of example. It's like Plato. Well, Timothy is not just to be an example, all right, to others, there's other things. He says, he actually explains how so how are, I, how are you going to be an example? Well, look what it says. In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. The first two, if you just want to help you think through these a little bit, the first two areas, speech and conduct, all right, being an example, is an outward expression. Think about this. Speech and conduct. Everybody can see that. They can hear It's an outward expression. All right? And the last three, love, faith, and purity, all right, are inward. Outward, speech and conduct, Love, faith, and purity inward. And guess what? The things that are in fuel the things that come out. Right? If love, faith, and purity are true, then our speech and conduct will line up with love, faith, and purity. Another way you could put this is that the first two have to do with Timothy's public ministry and the other three, his personal life. But again, his personal life will feed his public ministry just like it does us. If we're nourished on the word of truth, it'll come out in our public life. What Timothy said, his speech, and did, conduct would surely make an impression on those around him. And these five qualities Paul exhorts Timothy to be an example in would be in contrast to the very areas of which the false teachers failed. It was easy, if Timothy was living his life like Paul called him here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to see who was truly of God or not. Let me just give you some examples, right? In speech, listen to what the false teachers did. They advocated a different doctrine from that in Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 6.3. They also used abusive language, 1 Timothy 6.4. That was their speech, conduct. They, they practice this false asceticism which we saw, saw earlier here that they forbid marriage and certain foods, I'm, certain foods, I'm super holy, if you wanna be holy you gotta not eat this and don't get married and all this kind of stuff. And yet, that's four that's that's four, 3 and yet they look to get rich off the people. 6, 5, and 9, 10 in 1 Timothy. Wow, that's kind of funny. Their conduct didn't add up. Love it says in 2 Timothy 3.2, 3, they were lovers of self and money. Faith it says lots of things about their faith, but one in in, in 1 Timothy 1:19 says they suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And purity. And this purity is, is like a sexual purity. This is the idea here, this word. He uses sexual purity. They took advantage of women. Chapter 5, 11 here, and then 2 Timothy 3, 6. They took advantage of women. These false teachers were going in and taking advantage of women who were in difficult situations. And the, in, in, the, in, the, the, it insinuates sexually. So Paul uses these five things. And all throughout these two, 1 and 2 Timothy, he shows what the false teachers are like. And Timothy's life should be nothing like it because it's empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in him. Whereas followers of Jesus, a follower of Jesus and a leader in the church, Timothy's life expressed in his speech, conduct, love, and purity would cause, listen, it would demand others to look up to him. Wow, look what God's doing in Timothy's life and respect him and the truth that he was ultimately teaching. They would listen. His life would be pressed into others and be made into people who are more like Jesus. Now, Paul makes this statement, follow me as I follow Christ. Some people say, well, you should never make that statement. Well, he, didn't. he qualified it. Follow me as long as I follow Christ. And, and Paul's basically saying to Timothy, do the same thing. Set yourself an example. Put yourself out there as a mold and press your life into others so well, you, I can use that to change you. Well, how, how about our lives? How about our lives? Are our lives an example like that? We're going to come back to that later. Well, now look with me in verse 13 in our passage this morning. Until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and teaching. Here we see the second good servant of Christ Jesus presented in our passage this morning. Give priority to God's Word. Give priority to God's Word. I I, I love this one. I I just want to tell you, this, this was really... And you're thinking, there's no way. But there, this was really hard in preparing this f- to teach because I could have taken each one of these points and spent about three messages on each. And it was really hard. I, t- I was talking to my son yesterday, and he asked me, he lives in Florida, he's a, at a Bible college down there, getting ready, he got one more semester. And he was saying, what's, what, what passed? Oh, that, man, which one are you going to? Focus on, Dad. There's so much in there. I said, I'm going to focus on all of them, Um, but not as much as I'd like to. This is hard, but I I, I love this one. I'm a little bit more passionate. I'm passionate about that one. I'm also passionate about this one, all right? Paul exhorts Timothy to make the word a priority in the life of worship of the church of Ephesus, just as Paul did for the three years he spent there. Remember that. Paul spent three years here, and he's he's impressing on Timothy, he's calling him to give priority to God's word. Look at those words again give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Y'all, you know, this is what we call expository preaching. This is what we believe here at the Potter's House. That's what we practice here, all right? First, you read God's Word. Did we read God's Word together this morning? Yes, we did, all right? Then we, it, 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 it's, the, the order of these can be together, all right? We exhort, all right? It's an exhortation. Some, tra- some translations say preaching, which means to exhort, all right? Exhort people to put God's Word into practice. And then we teach. We explain what it means, That's expository preaching. All right? We take God's word, we read it, we explain it, and we exhort each other to live it by the grace of God. That's expository preaching. And just throw this out here too. And that's always been God's way. Always. Let me say it again. Always. You take God's word, you read it, you explain it, you exhort. It's always been that way. I'm just going to give you some examples. This has always been how God's people, not only the New Testament, Old Testament, the church took on this practice from God's people, the Jews, all right? Look, for example, in Acts 13, where Paul and some of his companions were visiting uh, um, the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Look what it says. After reading of the law, that'd be, all right, the Old Testament, and the prophets released The, the law would be the first five books, what we call the Pentateuch, and the rest of it is considered the prophets. The, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, brethren, if you have any Word of exhortation for the people, say it. So they read God's word, and then what did they do? They exhorted it. And this, this word exhortation also has the idea they were teaching it. They, okay, they taught it and exhorted people to put it to practice. Right? This, this was taken from what God's people had always done. All right? um, one of my favorite examples of this in all of Scripture is found in Nehemiah. All right? After they'd finished rebuilding the wall, they'd come back from captivity. They'd rebuilding the wall. They're celebrating. And notice what the people did. I, I love these people in Nehemiah. Oh, man, I love these people. Look what they did. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The people said, bring the book. Bring the book, Now, why'd they say that? Why'd they say, bring the book? I I, I love this. Because the book was God's word, and they wanted to hear from God. Bring the book. We want to hear from God. Bring the book. That's exactly right. I'm hoping we're all saying that by the end of this part, all right? Now, now look at this. Look look at verse 5, what happens. Ezra opened the book in the the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. I love that. And that's why we stand up here when we read God's Word together. They actually stood up through the whole sermon. And we're not going to ask you to do that, all right? But they, they stood up. I mean, it was unbelievable. They stood up in reverence because they believed this is God's word. They believed that with all their heart. And they were expecting to hear from God. Bring the book. And they stood up. All right. It, it gets better. All right. All right. They stood in reverence to God's word. Now look at verse 8. They read from the book from the wall of God clearly and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading they were taught the word of god this whole account sounds a whole lot like paul what was paul exhorting timothy to do in verse 13 remember until i come give attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching D- doesn't that sound exactly what they did in nehemiah and i can go back and show you in second chronicles another time when they said bring the book cuz they wanted to hear from god as God's word was read and explained, the people of God's day expected to hear, from, in Nehemiah's day, expected to hear from God. Do we? Do we, when God's word is read and explained here on Sunday morning, do we expect to hear from God? I, I'll just be honest with you. We, our culture has kind of taken this away. Uh, the, the evangelical church as a whole has kind of taken this away from us. And, and, and I'm right there with it. I don't always, haven't always and don't always come here expecting to hear from God. Sometimes we come as critics, don't we? We come to criticize the person who's teaching. Oh, man, he should have said it this way. I can't believe he said that. That's our, our, our heart is coming. Not, Jay and I can make mistakes, and we will make mistakes. We're, we're not God. We're, we aren't the word. We, we can. So just go ahead and, try, there's the expectation, Okay. Let that not be known. But if our expectation is to come to find something wrong, you'll find something wrong. You'll walk out and not change at all. But if your expectation and my expectation to come, bring the book, I want to hear from God. If that's our attitude and that's our heart, guess what? We'll hear from God. That's a promise. We will hear from God. I hope that's, our, I hope that's what, I, if you're not there, I hope you get there. I hope we all can get there. We have the attitude and, and, and would love to hear all, no, no, don't do, I'm not asking you to do this. I would love to hear us all say in unison, at least in our hearts, every Sunday when we come together, bring the book, I want to hear from God. Bring the book. Bring the book. And by God's grace, Jay and I, every Sunday morning, are going to try to bring the book. Or one of the other elders, we're going to try to bring the book and lay it out. So you might hear from God, and we might hear from God. Paul makes this emphasis again. Later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the end of uh, um, 2 Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction. In our world today, people think just what they thought about the the preaching these days. You see this in 1 Corinthians. It was foolishness. That's foolishness. Foolishness to have somebody stand up there and preach for 40 minutes. Are you kidding me? They preach for hours. In the New Testament, if you want, if you think That's, this is bad, all right, because God said He'll use the preaching of His Word to bring our heart, change our hearts, the proclaiming of His truth. It's foolishness to the world, but not to those who are being saved. And this is why we will continue. This is why we're going to continue to do this on Sunday mornings here, because it is and always have been prescribed by God for His gathered people. We will give priority to the Word of God. Well, look at me lastly now in verse fourteen. Notice what it says. Let me go to 14. There we go. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Here we see the third attribute of God, of a good servant of Christ Jesus, presented in our passage this morning. Treasure your gift. Treasure your gift. I, I say treasure because it's the opposite of neglecting something. When you treasure something, right, you take care of it. You value it. You use it for its intended purpose when you treasure something. And that's, that's what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do, to, to treasure his gift. Notice what Paul tells Timothy to treasure, his spiritual gift. Notice the word, spiritual gift. Now, there's been all kinds of suggestions as to what this spiritual gift is. I mean, all kinds of suggestions. Right, some say it's the Holy Spirit himself, right? The, 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 Jesus promised to send as a gift the Holy Spirit to indwell those who would trust in him. The Holy Spirit himself is, is this gift, which he manifests certain abilities that come out of us. All right? So some it's the Holy Spirit himself. Some say it's the gift of teaching and preaching. And the immediate context of even chapter 4, verse 11, uh, uh, we, we see... Prescribe and teach these things. Verse thirteen again. Give attention to the public reading uh, uh, of scripture, exhortation, teaching. He's talking to Timothy. All right. Second Timothy two twenty four. He says a, a, a he must be able to teach. And then we saw in four two to preach the word. All right. So this would be a spiritual gift of teaching or preaching or proclamation. All right. And and, and these are the gifts we've talked about. This week, the gifts of the church. Right. Gifts that given to the church. All right. And some people say it's one of the gifts to the church from Ephesians chapter 4, the gift of evangelist, which you see in, in, in chapter 4, verse 5 of 2 Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, establish a church, set them in order. That's the work of an evangelist. All right, that's one of the gifts that, that Jay has, is he, he helps establish churches, set them in order. All right, that's that here. And, and so, you know, which is it? Is it the Holy Spirit Himself? Is it a spiritual gift like teaching and preaching? Is it the gift to the church, evangelist? Uh, which is it, and which one? Yes. Yes, I'm bowing out right there. Yes, it's all of them. Because they're all interrelated. I don't, I don't think we have to choose one. And I think I just showed you from the, these, two, these two books, it could be any of those, couldn't it? I could argue any of those, and I'm going to argue all of them. That's okay. I'm, I just, I, I'm, I, it doesn't tell us exactly what it was. We just know, he said he wants you, the, the emphasis here, All right. even though they're all related, is Paul wants Timothy to value Take care of and use his gift that was given to him by God to build up the church. Use your gift. Treasure it, Timothy. Now, so what does the last part of verse 14 mean? Which was bestowed on the, through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. I don't know exactly. I'll throw something out there that I think part of this would be right. We don't know for sure all the details. But this prophecy of Timothy's call and gifts was most likely similar to Paul's call. It, was, it, was, it, it, it probably happened shortly after Timothy met Paul or right before in Acts 16 when Paul meets Timothy. It says there in 16 that, he, that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren. He was already serving in the local church there where he was. And, and maybe they had already, the prophecy might have already happened that God's going to use you. He's giving you this gift. He's calling you. That, that may have already happened. We don't know for sure. All right, but it seems like then it was also confirmed by the laying on the hands of the elders. They were confirming what God had said through this prophetic utterance, that, "Hey, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to be used." Paul, again, was emphasizing to Timothy that his gift was from God, therefore he shouldn't neglect it. That's what the emphasis is here. we don't know exactly how this all worked out. But he was emphasizing, "This is from God, Timothy, don't forget it, and don't neglect it. Treasure your gift." treasure your gift. In the same way, we too are, are, who are in Christ by faith have been given at least one gift, maybe more, one spiritual gift, and God calls us to use our gifts to build up the church. Look at 1 Timothy. This is a summary by Peter. I love Peter's summary. 1 Peter 4, 10 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength with God, which God supplies. So in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let me just exhort you with Paul and Peter and ultimately with God to treasure your gift. Treasure your gift by putting it to practice here. The local body. Well, how can we respond to God's word? Here's the so what. All right, it's a lot of great information we just learned there, and again, there's more there, but that's what we've got this morning. How can we respond to God's word? Well, I made it real simple. Number one, be an example. Be an example. Be a Plato mold. Be a Plato mold. Maybe remember that way. Be a Plato mold. Give people reason to look up to you instead of down on you. Secondly. Give priority to God's word. Come on Sundays with the attitude, bring the book I want to hear from God. Bring the book I want to hear from God. Come with that kind of attitude. You can put this in exp- practice that way. And pray for those who are preaching and teaching, that we'd be faithful to do what God has called us to do. And then thirdly, treasure your gift. Use your gifts here to build up the body. And a lot of people, whoa, whoa, What's my spiritual gift? There's, you can take tests. I'm, I'm all about this. Just start serving. Just get in there and do things you enjoy. And people. And you're really good at that. Oh, maybe that's my spiritual gift. Because you can manipulate those, those tests you take. I, I've done it before. I can have, any, I can have like the, the gift of hospitality, which I don't, all right? And I'm going to give that gift. That's my wife's gift, not mine. But I can make it sound like that because I know where the questions are leading. Hey, just dive in, do what you enjoy, start serving, and you'll discover your spiritual gifts. That's the best way to do it. It really is. All right? and So use your gifts to build up the body here and help us make Christ-committed followers who make Christ-committed followers in our community and around the world through relevantly teaching and living the pure word of God. That's the so what. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, the clarity of your word, the privilege, Lord, to, to be here this morning and to hear from you. Lord, give us the grace to be an example, to give priority to your word, and to treasure the gifts you've given us that you might be glorified and we might be edified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just by way of reminder, we're going to have a prayer team, a couple over here and a couple over here afterward. If you want to have somebody pray with you, you've got any questions, they'll be there. I uh, encourage you to, to, to utilize that and, 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 and share with some people. Um, and I'd ask you to stand with me, and here's my prayer for you this morning. It's kind of our, what we'll call our benediction. Oops, it didn't, they shut, they shut down my PowerPoint. All right. I'm just going to read it to you. How's that? All right, here we go. Second Corinthians, Thessalonians. Oh, there it is. 1, 11 through 12. To, the, to this end, we always pray for you. So this is my prayer for you. That God, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.